Hello and thank you for listening to episode 290 of 60MW. I'm Dave and this is the second in our week-long series of Grimfest interview shows. And in this one the movie is The Deep Ones. And I'm joined by writer-director Chad Ferrin and actors Robert Miano, Sylvia Spross and Kelly Maroney. As well as this interview show, it would have also been another interview show that would have gone on to our YouTube channel. However... This was the first interview show I did on Zoom. I've ever done on Zoom. I know, believe it or not, we've got towards the end of 2020. And it's the first time that I've dipped my toes into the waters of Zoom. And because of that, I didn't set it up to record the video. I hold my hands up. I am so sorry. Uh, Thankfully, I remembered for the rest of the shows. But my apologies... To everyone involved with the Deep Ones, my apologies to Grimfest. My apologies to you, the listener, because I know quite a few of you like watching the video shows too. But despite that, I'm sure you will enjoy listening to another really enjoyable interview show. Once again, I was joined by some great people. had a great time chatting to them. There is, of course, in the show, another chance for you to win a free Grimfest pass to watch this movie. All you need to do is keep listening until the end of the show. I shall give the special Grimfest word and the first person to email it to me will win the free pass. I should have made it clear as well in the last one. This is for UK listeners only. And so enough of me. Let's get on to the chat all about the deep ones. Well, first of all, thank you for joining me today. Not only is it really good to see everybody for the people that are watching this video show, they'll see you for the people that are listening to the audio show. I'm looking at everybody right in front of me because, as we've just established, it's a little bit earlier where you are to where I am in Wales, isn't it? 7 a.m. over there. So thank thank you so much. It's very much appreciated. And again, for everybody watching and for the people listening, a good way to start uh, so they know who's who. If you'd just like to introduce yourselves and what part that you play in The Deep Ones. I'm Chad Farron, the writer and director of The Deep Ones, and uh, it's an honor to be here. Robert. Hi, I'm Robert Miano, and I play Russell in the Deep Ones, um, who uh, coordinates the the cult, just <laughs> um, to, to to service um, Dagon. Already, Hi. sorry, go on. Oh, it's okay. Hi, I'm Sylvie Spras, and I'm playing his wife Ingrid from Switzerland. And I was just going to say, already looking at both of you there, I mean, especially if Robert, if you say look into the light, I'm just, that's it. The interviews are, (laughs) it's simple things within within this movie are are quite creepy. Look into the light. Oh, no. (laughs) Is that your line, Chad? Look into the light. No, that was your line. That was Chad. Chad wrote that. Yeah, but you said it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Chad, again, I know this is a question you, you're always going to be asked in every interview that you do. But again, for the people that are watching, the people listening, could you tell us what is The Deep Ones? Uh, the Deep Ones is uh, a movie about a cult that takes young, attractive women and mates them with uh, <laughs> sea beasts and creates a little cute offspring. Um, no, the idea was basically, you know, it came from the location originally. We had an actress that Robert hooked me up with named Gina, and she basically had this house she was renting in uh, this little beach community uh, called Solar. 
and in Ventura, California. And she said she wanted to do a cheap little horror movie. She, she had this location for another three months. She's like, hey, let's bang out a cheap slasher film. We'll throw in a little bit of money. We'll go make it. And you write the script. And I had no inclination to write a cheap slasher film. So I've always wanted to do a cult film. Mm. So I kind of, in my mind, started spinning of how, what kind of cult would I want to be? A, a satanic cult or, a, you know, a, a Jesus cult? You know, all these things were spinning around. And then I'm like, a Lovecraft cult. And once that clicked, especially with the ocean uh, setting, it just kind of wrote itself. And I um, got back into, I hadn't read, you know, a lot of Lovecraft since I was a kid. So I kind of just went to the library, grabbed all the Lovecraft I could, started, you know, phoning back up on it. And I really gravitated toward uh, the shadow in Innsmouth and um, Call of Cthulhu and uh, Dagon kind of were the three main stories that kind of solidified and came together and uh, the deep ones were born. You were saying about the, the water as well. I mean, there's a lot. Let's, let's start with Lovecraft. There's a lot to dig into with Lovecraft. And you say you were, you were picking different things. You must have been spoiled for choice as you were going through oh, it. Oh, it's amazing because, you know, as a kid, I loved his stuff, but I I think I it was really too young to really appreciate it mm-hmm. as much yeah. as I do now because a lot of it is, you know, to be honest, as a kid, is a slog to read through. You'll hit it beautifully written and then you'll hit some, and the, the, um, the ambiance is great. And then when you get to the creatures and you're like, oh, wow, as a kid, this is great. But then it goes back to this thing. But then as an adult, you can really appreciate it so much more. And I, I really just re, you know, my lo- love for Lovecraft was reborn as, you know, an adult. And I really got into it. And it helped, you know, really kind of spur the ideas of where to go with the story. And it, it was really exciting and fun. And, and you know, and I hope, that I don't uh, mess up any, any of his work because it's really big shoes to fill with with his writing. But, you know, you try to do the best you can with the budget you've got and not, you know, bastardize, you know, his works in any way. And uh, I hope I achieve that. It's, that's a really good point about appreciating it as you get older because I've been exactly the same. I read a lot of Lovecraft at school, but now as I've got older, I appreciate the stories and enjoy them a lot more as well and take more from them. Sure, sure, sure. Just to think, I do. We should we should also acknowledge we're, we're joined just by, joined by Kelly Maroney. Hello, hello, hello. Hi. It's nice to see you, hey. Kelly. Hi. Uh, no, it's a pleasure. It's not the first time I've talked to you. Uh, about yeah. six or seven years ago, I did an interview show with you for a show I was on called Eighties Picture House, and we did a an hour long interview with you all about all about your works in the eighties. So it's oh my goodness, it's lovely wow. to have the chance to chat with you again. Me too. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, let's move on to to Robert because you were just saying then, Chad, about basing it around a cult. And Robert, you're sure. you're you're the head of the cult, and it's it must be a fine line. And I love the way that you played the character because you can go. I would think in different directions. Being the head of a cult, you could play it over the top in an almost mustache twirling nasty guy, but the way that you played it, you you were really downbeats with it but it it gave that sense of he's he's a dangerous guy watch out but without being over the top with it how did you approach the role well i, I approach the role uh, like i approach uh, almost every role that i do i uh 
I find that character in myself, you know. I believe as actors, we're chameleons and, you know, we claim it all. I claim it all, at least. And so I I identified with the character in terms of, of who we are as a culture, as, and, you know, it... It, it it reached out to um, to my it, it, it stimulated my imagination in a way where I was able to to connect the, the the theories of of aliens and where we came from um, Nibiru and the twelfth planet and uh, the Anaki and I felt that. I, I truly feel that it's a, a real possibility that that we're all aliens, that we're all we're all created by uh, um, by these aliens that came here to to Earth and cohabitated with the uh, the hominoids, and I I, I kind of think that's a very very strong possibility. So anyway, so it was very real for me, mm-hmm. and that's what made it real. You know, it was something that I just uh, connected with. Because your character as well has to be approachable and and want people to, you know, to make contact that first contact, but then at the same time to portray on the screen how how it suddenly turns that you're not quite the guy that people think you are. So as as the as the narrative goes on, your portrayal of it, it was it was good to see just with little gestures and facial looks that oh this guy's changing. He's not who or what I thought he was. Was there, was that any sort of a challenge as you were as you're going forward? What did you think going into it, portraying that role? You know, uh, you know, I, you know, the way I work is, I discover it as I do it. I give myself a, um, I use my imagination, and and uh, live in the question of how would it be for me, given these circumstances, mm-hmm. and taking in all the circumstances of of who we are in this, in this cosmos, that's what fed me. And so I didn't, you know, I had no, no plan more or less of how I was going to do it. I just was, was honest in, in the moment, truthful in the moment and discover and, and just discovered it as I was doing it. Mm-hmm. And of course you're a couple. What was it, what was it like as the wife of, of, of this cult leader? What, what was it like doing, being that? Is that a question for Sylvia? Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh. Wake up, Sylvia. <laughs> Good morning. Hello. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, we are a couple, so sometimes that makes it easier to act as a couple, but sometimes mm. it also makes it maybe a little bit more difficult yeah. because we do know each other so well. What do you mean? Why are you making faces? I don't know. I don't know if we ever know anybody. <laughs> no, but but sometimes I wanted to kill him on set, and so oh, that yeah. wasn't maybe the necessary setup for the scene. So yeah. maybe it's a little bit of a struggle. And I wanted to strangle her too. You know? There was one scene where okay, I was my question. Go ahead. <laughs> So that that was that was proper acting then, Sylvia, because you, you wanted to do something. You wanted what to do. That? I say that was real, real acting then, because if you really wanted to do something, because you are a couple, but then your character had to do something else. 
that really yeah, pulled into you. Yeah, there was an agenda we had to get yeah. the girl, but at the same time, you know, you have your own personal uh, demons going yeah. on between the relationship. And of course, Kelly, it's, it was great uh, to see you. And again, I'm not going to give any spoilers. People are going to listen to this before it's shown at Grimfest. So I'm skirting around things without giving away spoilers. Uh, but I think it, a lot of people already know from things online. Kelly, you played two parts in this film. Through one of them, through being on a piece of oh, being yes. on a piece of paper. Uh, it's always great to see you on screen. What, what was it like playing the part of of Ambrose in in the Deep Ones? It was awesome because I, uh, um, I I read it and I thought this is amazing. I can't wait to do this. It was just different for me and uh, and I really felt for her so much. And mm. to me, she was the only person that. Oh, I also have to worry about spoilers. Oops. <laughs> um, yes. Um, um, just what was what her what her um, her her situation was was really. Um, moving to me so yeah um it was it was amazing and working with these guys are fantastic because you're in a high emotional state all the way through it as well that must have been quite taxing you know on your uh, shooting nights I, I didn't think of it that way because of the stakes were so high at mm. the time for ambrose that um um i didn't think of it that way like i didn't have to um it's like Robert said, you know, that's what's the person. That's what you're. That's what you're going through as that in most circumstances, and um, it's just how it came out. And you and you fought. <laughs> you fought many monsters in many different films uh, as well. And you doing this one, uh, and Chad, as you were putting this together, of course, Lovecraft is known for all these different creatures. Sure. Knowing that you'd got budgetary restrictions, you'd got time restraints as you put in the film together what was the right. thought process of okay i'm sure at some point did you think well i'd like to do this but for whatever reason you you can't so how did you go putting together with let's say the for want of a better word the monster side of the movie right well you know that kind of again you, the budget dictated what that could be mm. so the few effects people that i went out to to get an idea of the cost of this, I mean, because there were much bigger things in the script, you'd send it to them and they're like, okay, that's like a $100,000 job. And, mm. you know, I'm like, well, <laughs> we don't even have $100,000 for the whole movie, basically. So I'm like, uh, well, what can you do? And then, you know, when Jim and I got together, because I hadn't seen him since kind of our trauma days, and he had gone on to some bigger stuff and, you know, effects wise. And I sent him the script and he, you know, he's like, okay, that's probably, you know, I could probably do it for 50 grand. And I'm like, okay, well, we don't have that much. How much, you know? And so I started tweaking things out of it. Like there was a, there was a sea monster baby. There were all these, you know, things that I'm like, do we need this? There was a bigger monster in the dream sequence. Do we need that? And it was kind of just paring that down of what do we need? Well, we definitely need to see a monster at the end to give the people payoff. And the, we definitely need tentacles throughout. Yeah, and so yeah. it was kind of like, see, the main things that we needed, it's like, okay, and then reworking the script to this is what we need, how much is it now, to pull it off and make it good. The glowing eyes was another big thing because I'm yeah. a huge fan of the film Horror Express. And I oh, had to yeah, get yeah. 
the makeup where it's not CGI garbage, it's actually glowing eyes that is on there because it's so awesome. And he nailed that perfectly. So it was giving him like, okay, here are the five big things we need effects-wise. How much is that? And then we finally got that to a number that's workable within, you know, four days or five days of effects without the, you know, the 12-day shoot. So it was just kind of, you know, which is the great thing about having the location and the actors and writing the script around what you have mm-hmm. and then honing it down budget wise. Cause then it's not like, well, we've got, we get there and we're like, we've got to skip out cause we can't afford that. It's like, it was written into the script of what effects we could do and what we could do. And then, you know, got there and did it. And it was, and, and when you work with an effects guy that you trust and you know, does good stuff, you know, he's going to get it under the time frame. You're not yeah. going to be like, okay, take 62, trying to get that and it's not yeah. working. And the other beauty is that with Lovecraft, a lot of it is can be off camera of like the monster behind the door, and, you know, all these things because your imagination is going to make up something Definitely. much more dreadful than the, the effects. So it was kind of just having that idea and going with it. And, you know, it, it came off real relatively without any hitches. It was actually pretty smooth effects wise. Normally, there's always a hitch effects wise, but he did. <laughs> him and his team did an, a fantastic job, and you know, it, it, it was one of those things that was a lot of fun when you're on set and the effect works, or you see the monster for the first time. You're yeah. like, oh wow, Chud, and, and you're, <laughs> you know, the things that you wanted to, you know, get into it actually paid off, and so it was fun. I, I loved the fact that it had got practical effects in it. I've said in so many different shows, I'm I've always been. I think with with being an older person and growing up with practical effects rather than CG, I love that the fact of, of using practical effects. And what you said about a lot, if it's left to your imagination, can be a lot scarier. So you only need to to show certain points of the, of the practical effect. I also love that you brought up trauma as well because I love trauma movies. I've done interview shows with, with Lloyd Kaufman, and again. I love the indie side of filmmaking. I love the lower budget films rather than the big, especially now overblown CG things that just right. flood the multiplexes. Uh, and I always encourage people to go and watch, you know, the independent films and independent filmmakers. It's got to be so rewarding for you when your film is shown at festivals worldwide. I mean, it was coming up and when people watch this and listen to it, it's, it's going to be premiered at Grimfest this year. It must be sure. so great for you as, as a filmmaker and have created this. What's, what's this time like now as we're getting close to it and the, you've got these press interviews and you're being asked a lot of the same questions. <laughs> what's it all like for you? Oh, I mean, this is actually the best time or, you know, making a movie, because you know, you'll, you'll make it and you're like, okay, I love it. I think it's great. I think it's this, or I hate it, you know, those things. And then you send it out and it gets into a festival and then you're like, okay, this is a good festival. They actually like it. And you beat out, you know, 300 films or a yeah. thousand, whatever it is, and you made a slot and, you know, that in itself is a huge accomplishment. Yeah. And once that hits, you're like, okay, this is great. And then you send it to a distributor or and they and they they don't want it or they're not interested so it's kind of this up and down roller coaster of you know like a festival from italy just contacted me because it's playing at grimfest or it's playing at Sitges or whatever it is and then it kind of builds and builds and builds and then everyone wants to see it not necessarily because it's great because now it's kind of building a momentum Mm -hmm. and the same thing with a distributor a distributor will see it now and they're like oh it's not for us it's whatever but it builds up some good reviews it gets into some bigger festivals it plays grimfest people love it and it builds and builds and builds and becomes something that right now it 
it not necess- it's not necessarily that film, but its reputation and its thing is building and building, especially from the independent side, which it needs to gain, you know, a notoriety or uh, a following or an interest because a distributor sees it now and it's like, oh, a sea monster raping women? I mean, <laughs> you know, or it's like, you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon meets uh, Irreversible. And they're like, what the fuck's that? We don't, <laughs> you know, in the Me Too movement, we don't want that. But if through festivals and audience appreciating it and liking it, hopefully, <laughs> it builds and builds to something that is to a distributor a more um, valuable commodity. Yeah. So, you know, if you just send it a film out blind, you know, because that was one of the things, one of the producers said, why are you doing all these, you know, trying to get into all these festivals? I'm like, well, to me, my whole career has been built on festivals from my film, The Ghouls, which played at the American Cinematheque, which got a great review in Variety, which Sitges reached out to me from that, pulled the movie in, that led to other festivals. And it built and built and built something that otherwise would have just sat on a shelf. But through festivals and reviews and an audience appreciating it, it built it. And that was kind of the same uh, philosophy I've done with every film that I've made. Of You know, you make it, you get it into festivals, and it builds and builds and builds. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it works with this one. So far, so good. I mean, the interviews on this one, uh, starting with, you know, just had one before this and now you have been fun and great and kind of reflecting, I think the same kind of energy we had on the film. Good. So hopefully, you know, that'll have the same, uh, the payoff because it was a lot of fun making and you hope that an audience appreciates it and digs it. And that leads to it finding a home and getting it out to a wider audience where love it or hate it, it's out there and people can actually yeah. see it properly. I think more people need to appreciate that just, getting a movie completed is an achievement in itself again i've talked many times about the digital age that we're in and everybody's got their own voice and everybody's a critic but just to take a step back and for anybody just to complete a film in the first place is such a huge achievement it really is as you well know there's so many stumbling blocks that you know can derail it i mean there were numerous times because we it was about 70 miles. The location was about 70 miles away from where I live. So I did, I chose to drove, drive that twice a day there and then back home because you know, I personally on a set like to keep myself detached from casting crew. So the option was to sleep there and stay with everyone or whatever. But for me as you know, the one running the show and, you know, people looking to me at a certain thing. I don't need to be walking around scratching my ass and farting and drinking coffee and letting them see a side of me that shouldn't be seen and keep that same kind of energy. So I had to drive, you know, that location every day. So I'd get there at, you know, three o'clock, start the suit, and then would come home at like two in the morning or whatever it is. And there were numerous times where I fell asleep at the wheel, almost crashed my car. So there was this thing of, you know, life and death yeah. to get it done. Cause relatively the shoot was very smooth and a lot of fun to do and very few hiccups. Okay. The only ones were the after effects of, you know, the uh, energy wearing off and catching up to you a weekend and you have to drive home and you're falling asleep yeah. and almost dying. So, which would have been interesting in itself, but <laughs> that know, would have been yeah. a completely yeah. different yeah. story. Be <laughs> <laughs> great for propaganda. Yeah. <laughs> Sylvia, you mentioned earlier about how, because you're a couple, you and Robert, about you'd be playing your parts on screen 
And then there might be something going on in real life, but then you've had to act differently w within your characters. At any point during the scenes that both of you filmed, and this is a question for both of you, did you bring in anything from being a couple where instead of being the characters, there was something entirely natural because you were a couple? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, we do love each other. So. Of course, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> Kind of tough love, you know. And I can keep my ring on. Uh, yeah, that's that's true. What was what was one of the toughest days for you? For again, for both of you, while you were on set. Big flowers. Well, there was one scene. There was one scene where the opening scene where where the couple comes to the um, to rent the uh, B and B. You don't want to give away too much. And no, that's just the, the setup of the story. And I thought. Uh, you know, there was a it was a group of fake flowers, you know, in the house, and I grabbed them, and I thought, wow, this would be great. You know, they come to the door, and here I am giving her flowers, and I had the flowers in my hand, and then all of a sudden, my no, we wife. We did the scene once with it. Anyway, but we didn't yeah. like the flowers. <laughs> we didn't like the flowers. He almost killed me over it. Still <laughs> Why are you getting in my my way? You know, you know. Yeah, as an actress, I guess I'm not supposed to tell another actor you shouldn't be doing that. So that's that's not cool from my side. But that happens. But I was the life only one who did it. Twenty four seven from from the from the beginning of the day. You're gonna mute the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> but we brought that to the film, I guess. It's there. Why yeah, it's not? Why not? At least I'm feeling it. That it, yeah, you use it. <laughs> it kind of motivated me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Real. And then you see on the screen, and it all works. It's all good. Yeah, it's great. Did yeah. we use the one with the fake flowers, Chad? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we had such a great time making this film, you know. Uh, everybody was so wonderful. I mean, we had we such... We cracked up a lot. We were so fortunate how it came together, you know, having that, that beach house and... The clams. You know, everybody <laughs> was just so committed to making this film. Clams. It, and it shows. I, I think it shows. Uh, you know, everybody did just a phenomenal job. You know, and like you said, Dave, you know, getting a film made, finishing a film mm -hmm. is is Herculean at best. Yeah, it is. You know, and, and Chad, you know, he he manages to do it all the time. Yeah, which you know, hats off, Chad. It's like I said, for to keep doing this against all the adversity that's out there is is commendable to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to do what, you know, it's in your gut, you know, you, it just, you know, it's the best, it's the most fun of anything. It's, <laughs> it's so exciting to do it. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's tough when it's not happening. So, it, you know, it's one of those, but that's the beauty of like now with everything shut down and you start writing another script or working on something, the energy is put into something else that's still within the world of, of cinema, whether it ever gets made or not, it still is honing your skills and, you know, as a writer or a director or whatever, it's, it's keeping busy. And, you know, and this is one of the rare instances where it was not only fun to make, it was fun to write. It was fun to edit. It was, fun, you know, everything mm -hmm. was fun and exciting. And even this part of, you know, trying to sell it and trying to, get it out to festivals and stuff has been a lot of fun and so far uh, rewarding because, you know, nothing's worse than, you know, you make something and you, you submit it to numerous festivals and it gets rejected or, yeah, it, you know, because that can weight you down 
the same way, you know, a distributor who you're like, well, they put out that piece of shit and they, <laughs> they won't touch this. And, and, and then you, then you realize the, the other aspect of the distribution end is because they already filled their slots. So they've got, you know, yeah. they're four months ahead with films that they have to release. So it might not necessarily be your film is not their cup of tea or whatever it is, but they're, they're filled up with, you know, films. So when you question of why a piece of shit movie like that got put out by Lionsgate, but they won't touch this movie. Come on. Mm -hmm. It's because perhaps that slot has been filled up and whatever, or the, you know, the programmer has, has the, or the, um, the person looking at the film just doesn't get it. But it's other things that kind of mitigate what might have been a great release or a great uh, uh, opportunity for the film. So it, it's it's one of those things of you you know you take it as it comes. And luckily so far this has been really just a fantastic experience. That's it. There's so many layers within the movie making business that a lot of people are not aware of, right from the very beginning, just from pre-production all the way through to when it's released. And like you said, and just getting into festivals and on cinema screens and just in people's eyes in general, there's so much to it, which again, sure. just leads me back to just having a completed movie that people can watch is, is such a great achievement. And that's why I always appreciate every, every movie that I watch, because I know the work that's gone into it all the right. way, all the way through. So I just watch it and, and just really enjoy every film knowing that. And it's good because when you can see as well, it comes across on screen, that even though the subject matter that you're watching is, we're talking about Lovecraft, so of course it's going to be a little bit creepy there. You can see that the people are having a good time making it. You just know that it was it was a good time making it. And I said sure. at the beginning, Kelly has said it's always. I've always loved watching you on screen in all the different roles that that you've done. What was it like to be a part of the Deep Ones? Another role for you, where fans of yours can see you again on screen. It's these years later to be in front of a camera once again what what's it like for you as as, as an actor i've been doing things but with various uh with various degrees of, of visibility i guess so uh, um i think that somebody who hasn't really um followed me since they saw um uh, i don't know night of the comet it's going to be a surprise <laughs> time passes um but um it's i've I've been around. Yeah, of course <laughs> you have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but this is a little, a little different for me. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was fun for me to um, uh, just not. Um, it, it's not my usual persona. I'm usually the final girl. You know, I'm mm -hmm. usually yeah, um, smart aleck and all that stuff. So this was something I wanted to do. It was different, and I was really happy that uh, um, that I had the opportunity to do it. And again, it's always good. It's good to see you in, in in different things. It's good to see everybody, you know, in, in different things. People will come, like you said. There's people that know you from your eighties films, but I followed you from then and seen other roles too. So it's always good to see actors, you know, mature, uh, play the different roles, embrace other roles as, as well, and not just be labelled in one particular role, which which is always good. And for you, Chad, when it came to you, you've written the movie. You've finally gone through all the, the pre-production. You know it's Lovecraft, and you've you know, you've put it all all together. But then when you've got to think, okay, so who is who who is this role? Who is that role? What was it like for you when you were at that part of the pre-production? Uh, well, that's kind of, it. Was kind of always it was written with everyone in mind and who I had actor-wise, and 
you know, then it was it was actually a very interesting way of making a film, which I wish I would have thought of years ago, which is basically, you know, you, you write an outline of the script and then there's certain roles and you find certain actors and you say, hey, do you want, are you interested in investing or putting up money and playing this role? And, and some of them were like, hey, sure, yeah, I'll put in five grand or I'll put in whatever it is. So it kind of helped you not only raise the budget of the film, but find an actor who's willing to not only invest his performance, but his own money mm-hmm. and to make something. And I think that helped give it a thing where everyone was not only invested um, dramatically, they were invested financially. <laughs> and whether, whether, whether it be doing it for free or doing it for, you know, a few bucks a day or whatever it would be, it's that they're, they're there for the love of it. Yeah, and I think yeah. that kind of, helped with the whole vibe of making it is everyone's there for the love of, you know, whether it's the material or whether it's, you know, just working, Mm -hmm. I think is something that helped keep that set. uh, And the ocean location, of course, helped. I mean, that was the comfort of it instead of, you know, being downtown or whatever. You were able to create um, just everyone was there for the love of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And I, I hope that, like you said, you know, comes through and people, uh, you know, gra- at least gravitate that love or hate the film. At least you'll say, well, look, they had fun. They didn't, you know, mess up Lovecraft too badly. And it's, you know, uh, it's got to be getting a middle and an end. So yeah. <laughs> you, you hope at the least that that, <laughs> that that comes through. And on the plus, you're hoping that someone, oh, look, they really love Corman or they really love you know, Brian Usna and Stuart Gordon. I mean, mm. you know, there's elements that, you know, for me as a kid growing up, when you see, you know, you see a uh, reanimator in the theater as a kid, you're oh, like, yeah. Holy, you know? Yeah. So it was kind of the idea of, and that was a way to introduce Lovecraft to an audience that might not necessarily know. They'll see this and they'll go, Oh, that's Lovecraft. And they'll start reading his stuff or, you know, they'll get more into it as a, you know, a younger uh, viewer or even an older viewer who's not, hip on it mm-hmm. and then they start reading stuff and they're like hey wow this is really he had something going on and you know so there's a thing and i, I don't like to say it's educational but it, it, at least there's elements of it that can spur someone's interest in literature or whatever yeah. it would be for a, a little b movie which i don't think there's very few especially today that can kind of take its, you know, its based material on an established, you know, icon of horror and make some budget that's accessible to people that they see it and they're like, hey, I want to learn more about mm-hmm. Lovecraft or the Cthulhu mythos or whatever it would be. So to me, that's an exciting thing if you if people see it that way and are, are drawn into the writings of uh, Oh yeah, I'm sure it'll sure it'll inspire a lot of people to to go off in many different directions. Having watched this, I think it will. Uh, or, just, even if, or even if they go out, you know, start. Hey, look, his his works are in public domain. Let's go make a, a this yeah. and this and more. You know, low budget Lovecraft. Right? It would be. Well, I'm just yeah. I'm looking at the time. I know we're coming really close to the end of, of this call. I don't want anything to cut off on us. I wish you all every success. Uh, I enjoyed watching it as well. I was one of the lucky ones that I've watched it before. I'll be, I, I'm going to be watching the full Grim Fest, uh, the whole festival again. So I'll be watching it for a second time in October as well, which is which is always good. So congratulations to everybody. Good luck with it, and thank you so thank much you. for for thank giving you. me your time. 
especially as it's say early in the morning over there. So I hope you have a, a very pleasant day. And for the sake of the edit, I shall say goodbye and uh, and thank you again. I do. I do. Thank you. <laughs> and the alarm bell, as always, brings to an end another interview show. That is already two Grimfest interview shows down, but thankfully we still have another five to go. So, what is the special Grimfest word I hear you ask as you're waiting, fingers poised over the keyboard, to try and be the first to email us to win a pass to watch The Deep Ones? Well, the word that you need to email us in this show is tentacles. <laughs> what better word could there be for a HP Lovecraft-based film? So the first person to email us from within the UK, with the, including the word tentacles, will win a free pass to watch this at Grimfest. Again, thank you all for listening, and I shall be back tomorrow with the third of this Grimfest series of shows. <laughs>